So Jesus meets a wealthy young leader. I'm sure you're familiar with the name Bill Gates. Who's Bill Gates? Microsoft, you're suddenly kind of uh, rattling around. And and Steve and I were just speculating, maybe it's because you got Windows 8 installed on your computer recently, Paul, that the the notices didn't go out. Stick to that excuse, okay? That's that's a good one. But anyway, Microsoft, founder of Microsoft, chairman, chief executive of Microsoft, possibly the world's richest man. Read this week that uh, so far in his life, Bill Gates has given an eye-watering £28 billion to charity. He has given £28 billion to charity. He's actually now stepped aside from Microsoft as his main focus, and he set up a foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. doesn't really run off the tongue, that, does it? But he set up this charitable foundation... And he's supremely motivated to eradicate malaria from the world through investing in in medicine and all sorts of intervention. And also, he's just investing at the moment $1.8 billion in a programme to eradicate polio. That's awesome. That somebody of unimaginable wealth. I read in the article, his wealth is bigger than the GDP of dozens of nations. He's just bogglingly rich. But here's a man who has thought, okay, I see that actually I've got a lot of cash. And actually, somewhere deep inside me, I realise that all lives have equal value. And he was quoted as saying that that the reason he does this is because basically I want all people to be treated as I would like to be treated. And that to me sounds very laudable. I guess the second bit of that, to be treated as I would like to be treated, sounds very similar to what Jesus said about love your neighbour as yourself. And in fact the article was saying, so has he got religion? And he kind of distances himself from that. So, no, I just, you know, God is there somewhere, but this is about me and what I want to do with my stuff. And I guess Jesus would be intrigued and and warmed by that kind of desire. Certainly Jesus aligns himself with the poor. He certainly wanted to challenge a prevailing culture that certainly existed then and I think still exists today that equates wealth and status with somehow deserving that, being good. And on the flip side, equates poverty with wickedness and laziness. And this rich young leader that Jesus speaks to here, he certainly would have fitted into that kind of society view that he was wealthy, he was well-to-do, he was articulate, he was hard-working, therefore he must be a good man. 
it's been speculated that maybe this guy was actually an elder of the local synagogue. The word for ruler seems to be used in other places in the New Testament for an elder of the synagogue. And in many ways, this guy that that meets Jesus, he was a golden boy. He was young, successful, upright, law-abiding. Just the kind of bloke that maybe I would like to walk through my door with my daughters, indeed. So is his wealth the problem here? It's the fact that he's rich, the problem. Well, I guess the answer is yes and no. And over the next few minutes, I'd like us just to to expand on that, to think about that. Is his wealth the problem? Well, yes and no. You see, if all he was asked to do was to, to sell all he had and give to the poor, then I guess he'd be doing something akin to what Bill Gates has done. Although it has to be said that Bill Gates has got about 65 billion kicking around so 28 is not all but anyway if that was all he was about then maybe it would just be a simple good gesture but we know that for the rich man in this story his wealth was a problem not because he had it but because he was unwilling to part with it. Jesus picks this up in verses 24 and 25. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's a kind of a familiar phrase. Easier to go through the eye of a needle kind of meaning it's impossible all sorts of people have speculated well what that means right is you've got a camel right and this camel what he has to do is he has to get down on his knees and he crawls on the floor and he gets through the gate no it's impossible Jesus is saying to get through with all that stuff impossible you can't do it What's going on here is the man's heart and his understanding of the law. See, he assures Jesus in confident manner that he's kept all the commandments that Jesus recounts to him. Those commandments that are kind of the second half of the Ten Commandments we find in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All commandments about human relationships in some measure or form. And he says confidently, yeah, I've kept all those commandments. But I reckon he hasn't heard Jesus' teaching on those commandments. If you flip back with me briefly, Matthew chapter 5. Somebody give me a quick shout out of what page Matthew chapter 5 is on. Matthew 
969970. Keep a a hand in in the other bit and just go back with me to Matthew chapter 5. You see, Jesus has been teaching on the law. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5. You've heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you this, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Jumping down to verse 27, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Coming back to the rich ruler, he was keeping the letter of the law. No doubt he was an upright man, a good guy. but not the spirit of the law that actually speaks to the very heart of our humanity. See, he wasn't seeing that the kingdom of God that Jesus speaks of, that place where everyone who is able to walk with God because they have come to Jesus and ask forgiveness for their sins, that place that we are invited to walk in even today. It's not just a commodity, something to be accumulated, to be part of our status as good people. It's not a kind of a life-enhancing choice along with a nice holiday and a nice car and a nice house. It's a life-changing choice. It's not just about ticking a few boxes to earn a place in heaven. It's nothing to do with ticking a few boxes. See, entering the kingdom of heaven is about turning to God in humility. Look at verse 14 of Luke 18, if you get me. Luke 18, verse 14 talking about the Pharisee and the tax collector. One said, I am so good. The other one said, I am a sinner. And verse 14 says, I tell you that the man who said that I'm a sinner have mercy on me, God. He is the one that will go home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Entering the kingdom of heaven is about humility. It's about coming to God in simplicity like a small child would come to a parent. Verse 17. And it's about following God wholeheartedly. Verse 22. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. And then you have treasure in heaven. And then, come, follow me. It's not a one-off event that ticks a box. Something I did when I was 11, or something I did when I was 20 or 30 or whatever. I came to God. I said sorry. I went to church a bit. And I'm good to go now. 
It's about choosing to follow Jesus all the days of your life. Allowing him to shape you into the person that he has created you to be. Allowing him to change you. Not into some kind of a weirdo, but into the person that he created you to be. Here's a bizarre statement. It's a free gift that is costly. It's a free gift that is costly to follow Jesus. You see, it costs Jesus to give that gift. Talking about Easter just a little while ago where we celebrate Jesus dying on a cross. God became flesh at Christmas time we celebrate. And at Easter we celebrate that he died. Not because he was defeated, but because he came to take upon us, upon himself, our sins. So that we might relate to God now and in eternity. But it's also a costly gift to receive because actually to follow Jesus isn't easy. It's not an easy path to take. We don't earn favour with God. That is given to us by the death and resurrection of Jesus. But to follow him is not straightforward. Because there are all sorts of things that pull us this way and that. When God wants us to be wholeheartedly following him. So we need to surrender ourselves to God. Verse 29 is a little bit unsettling, I think. Where Jesus says, no one has, who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age. Is that saying that we're all supposed to just abandon all our responsibilities? No. But actually sometimes we can put important, good things ahead of our relationship with God. And actually those important, good things then take a wrong perspective because they haven't got God at the centre of them. And I know that there are folk here who have felt a real risk in giving their lives to Jesus before their partner because they were thinking, oh, but that means that maybe they're going to feel like they're, they're second best. But no, our, our relationship with our family is vital. But our relationship with God is primary. (laughs) 
See, we need to surrender the things that might hold us back from God, that can be a barrier between us and God. Stopping those things, those things stopping us from actually being the people that we have been created to be. Back in the Old Testament, in Ecclesiastes, the writer of that book tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And Jesus reminds us of that to make sure that our treasure is stored in heaven and not invested in earth. You see, if we invest our treasure in heaven, in giving ourselves to God, then we'll be able to be more fully human. So I wonder where your treasure is today. What is your treasure? Maybe your treasure is your relationship with God. That is primary in your life. But maybe there are other good things that are actually things that are standing in the way because they have a hold on you like the rich man's wealth had a hold on him. He wanted to follow God, but, but not at the expense of, of, of leaving behind the wealth that he had, and there was a lot of it. He wanted to follow God, but he didn't want to let go fully. Maybe your relationships, maybe your house, your home, Maybe your savings. Maybe your self-image. Maybe being seen to do the right thing, to have a good standing amongst your peers. That's the thing that you prize above a relationship with God. Those things will fade. Those things are good. And we can invest rightly in those things. But if they stand between us and God, then they are an idol. So there's a challenge to us here. Where is your treasure? That's really what Jesus was asking the rich young ruler. Where is your treasure, my friend? Do you really want to follow me? Or do you want it as an add-on? I've said over the last couple of weeks that that this is a, a challenge for us personally in these encounters with Jesus. But there's also a challenge for us in sharing our life of faith with other people that we can learn from Jesus the Master. Because he wants us to enable others to know 
the good news of Jesus that he loves us so much that he was prepared to die for us. So I wonder today, are we leading other people that we know, that we work with, that we live with, that we, that we uh, spend our social time with? Are we leading them to believe that actually it's just a religious box that we're ticking when we say we're involved in Five Head Baptist Church, when we say we're a Christian? Is it just a religious box? And actually, if you, if you come and you pray a prayer of commitment and, and you do a few bits and pieces, then you're good with God. Or are we living and therefore telling the gospel? Are we being radical followers of Jesus? Radical, not in the sense of being nutters, or fanatics because some people will hear that word and that's what they'll think and we, we hear that on the, on the media it's not about that but it's about at the very heart at the root are we followers of Jesus because we hold nothing back so that we can be ever more the person God created us to be in his image seeking after his heart before other things, before other relationships, so that as we come to those things, they are in their right place. Are we open to the guiding of the Holy Spirit to help us to see with godly eyes what maybe is holding other people back? Maybe we need to be asking God to help us. Not just to live lives that are honouring to him in wholehearted fellowship with him. But actually that we would be seeing better with his eyes. So I have two questions for you as we come to communion. And we'll just take a moment to be quiet. First question is, where is your treasure this morning? <coughs> Almost certainly that will be a complex answer. But actually, it needs to start with a very simple one. My treasure is in my relationship with God that I would be prepared to do anything that he asks me to do, knowing that actually he is a good God who is not going to stitch me up. Where is your treasure? And then the second question, how is your faith lived out so others can see so others can sense something of the presence of Jesus in you. We don't know ultimately whether the rich young man came back to Jesus and said, okay, I've had some time to think about this. 
and I want to follow you. It's kind of unresolved. But we know that he went away sad from that meeting because he felt he couldn't give all his heart to Jesus. Jesus.